Bibles with me to Psalm 42, and uh, this is a great psalm before us tonight, looking forward to getting into it. Um, while you guys are turning there, i got a few announcements. Tomorrow, prayer at the church office at noon. Um, it'll be our last Thursday prayer uh, of the year, because next week the office is going to be closed uh, most of the days, just give the staff a little time off and whatnot, and so... Uh, Come and pray with us tomorrow if you can. And then uh, this Sunday is Christmas Eve, as most of you guys know that. And uh, I think the section that's usually sitting right here, they're off doing last-minute shopping. So that's probably where they're at. So um, th- this Sunday and just our, our Sunday morning services are going to be our Christmas Eve services. So our normal times, as, as I mentioned in communion, I'm um, really looking forward to it. I just feel like the Lord's... You know, laid a word on my heart. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, some of the genealogy there. And um, you know what, if, if, if you need uh, a real kind of condensed overview of the Old Testament, and uh, that's what we're going to get on Sunday, and just see a ton of prophecy that was fulfilled in the Lord's coming. And uh, we'll probably close touching briefly on prophecy that's getting fulfilled now and is about to be fulfilled. And it's, it's just very exciting. And so uh, come and join us Sunday morning. Um, so we'll, we'll probably be, service might be a little bit shorter, but sometimes I say that and it doesn't happen. So, uh, but it, you know, listen, it's, it's, it's supposed to be Christmas, right? Christ is in that. So uh, we'll have children's ministry and everything. It should be a real, real blessed time. And then um, next uh, Wednesday night, we are going to have service at 6.30. And we're showing, as I mentioned last week, a, a family film, it's called The Matter of Faith, and so everyone's going to be in here, kids, youth, and so forth. We won't have a meal beforehand, but the uh, cafe will be open at 6 o'clock, and uh, there's food in there and snacks and so forth, and I think the, the film's about an hour and 20 minutes, so 6.30 to about 8, and listen, if you got family in town or whatever, bring them out. Say, hey, I'm going to take you to the movies tonight, and they're going to expect something down there, you can come right in here, and... Uh, We'll show the film, and like we always do, just have a little, little, uh, you know, gospel, little three-minute gospel presentation at the end, because the gospel's in the movie, and uh, should be a real blessed time. And then um, the other note, and mentioned it on Sunday, and this this Sunday we should have a, a flyer out for it, and then uh, we'll start having tickets available for this. Uh, on the 31st, the marriage conference, uh, January 26th through 27th. It's going to be a Friday night and uh, Saturday, half a day Saturday. And it uh, should be a really, really blessed time. And we're just really hoping all the couples will come out and uh, not only get ministered to, but even just get more equipped in your marriage and to be able to even urge and exhort others. Remember, we talked about that on Sunday that we have that call to urge and exhort one another. And so hopefully it will be a blessing to our marriages as well as an equipping to minister to one another. And uh, listen, if you're single and you want to come out, absolutely, you'll be welcome to come as well. Uh, people that are engaged, uh, you know what, dating, whatever, uh, we want you to come out as well and get equipped. And we won't, we won't make you sit in the single section. You can come and, you know, come and be blessed and partake, and I think it'll be really good. So Psalm 42, let's get into this. Um, I want to read through it first, and then we'll dive, dive right in. It says, To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, 
As the deer pants for water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his love kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Told you it's good. Notice here, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. We go to the book of Numbers, chapter 16, and we see there was a man named Korah. He was a Levite. He had a role in the Levitical priesthood that we talked a little bit about in the book of Exodus, and hopefully in a few weeks, we're going to start in the book of Leviticus and learn a whole lot more about the Levites and those Old Testament sacrifices and so forth. But in chapter 16, we see that Korah had a jealousy against Moses, and as we saw in Exodus, God had raised Moses up to be that vessel that he would use to impart, deliver Israel out of Egypt, and we touched on the fact that Moses was a type of Christ. He was a forerunner of Christ and that he was a man that God used to deliver Israel out of bondage, pointing to Christ who would come, who delivered us out of bondage through his death and resurrection. So the Lord raised Moses up, the Lord gifted Moses, the Lord put Moses in that place of leadership, but Korah became jealous against him. And instead of just being joyful in the place that God put Korah, because uh, God had a call on him, and God had gifts that he had given him, and he had a role within the Levitical priesthood, but instead of doing that, he got his eyes on somebody else. And we don't want to fall into that trap. When you get your eyes on someone else and begin to measure yourself with them and their gifts and so forth, usually one of two things happens. Either you get in a place where you're envious of them, or you get in a place where you're looking down upon them. And neither of those are places where God wants us to be. Listen, he's appointed us all gifts, and he's appointed those gifts to us according to his heart and his mind. And absolutely, it says he's given to each according to his ability. And so we want to just take what God has given to us and use it for his glory and his honor and praise. And, and that's enough to be responsible for, isn't it? But Korah was in this place where this jealousy was against Moses. He raised up many others. He began to spread dissension. He began to say, hey, why, Mo why is Moses the guy in charge of all this and so forth? And so basically you read through the chapter and what it comes down to is there was going to be a showdown between Moses and Korah. Um, they took, since, uh, they, they, they took, you know what, 
fire and so forth and brought it on the altar before the Lord and so forth. And Moses warned to the people, listen, if you're going to roll with Korah, it's going to be bad. You're, you, you know, you're not going to be victorious and so forth. And some of the people stepped back from Korah, others didn't. But basically to make a long chapter, you know, it's summarized in a summary a lot shorter. The earth ends up opening up and swallowing Korah and he dies. Uh, and the Lord judges him. Now, oftentimes what you find in the Old Testament is with the father's sin, the family would follow along and follow in the footsteps of the father. And yet, we know there's the declaration that the sins of the father are not the sins of the son, and the sins of the son are not the sins of the father. And it's very refreshing because in this case, as Korah was in this place of rebellion, not all his children followed in the footsteps of their father. Instead of following their earthly father into destruction, instead they chose life and they chose to follow their heavenly father. Now in number 16, we don't, we don't get the record of how that happened, but I can imagine that Korah was quite upset that some of his children were like, I'm not following you. I'm going to follow what the Lord has for me. I mean, thinking uh, and seeing this man is so rebellious to come up against Moses, whom at this point, I mean, God's used Moses to deliver the children of Israel. There's been provision after provision. I mean, this was a pretty, pretty brazen move to challenge that Moses, you know what, Moses' leadership had been affirmed by the Lord over and over again. And I have to think that, you know, when the children said, we're not following you, we're going to follow the Lord, and we believe the Lord has set Moses to be a leader. I just thought as I was considering this, that scripture where the Lord says, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth but a sword. And he talks about father against son and son against father and so forth. Um, you know, and no doubt it wasn't these children not loving their father or being rebellious against their father in a godly sense, but saying, you know what, I'm going to follow the Lord. And, um, you know, when you get into that place of either having to honor your parent in the sense of you doing what they want you to do versus saying, I'm going to honor God and do what he calls me to do. You got to always choose the Lord. It's always the case. And I know there's a lot of people that get into a place where the life that they're living unto the Lord is not approved of by their parent. And I talk to a lot of believers. They say they, you know, feel like at times they're reading through the scripture about honoring their parents and so forth. And they feel a guilt coming upon them. Like, am I really honoring them? Listen, we're called to honor the Lord first. We're called to honor our Heavenly Father first. And I would encourage you, if you're in that place as the sons of Korah with Korah, where there's that division there, the best way you can honor your parent then is to pray for them, thank the Lord for the good things, make sure you don't have a heart of bitterness, and be in that place when they, Lord willing, come to that place of acknowledging the Lord themselves, you're ready to have that full, you know, for lack of a better word, reconcilia reconciliation, and, and you know what, um, that, that be in that place where things could be brought back together where they should be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, they chose to follow their heavenly father, not their earthly father, because notice the sons of Korah, they're the ones that put this psalm together. And eventually what would happen through the generations, they would move into a place in the Levitical priesthood of being worship leaders in the sanctuary. We read about that in First Chronicles chapter 19, and chapter 26 as well. And so they were moved into a place of leading the people into worship. And this psalm right here was one of the worship songs 
that was written by the sons of Korah or a son of Korah. And it seems pretty clear that this writer or writers of this psalm, uh, they came to a place where they were in exile. And they were in exile amongst the Gentiles. Uh, we know there were several occasions when, uh, because of battle, when of war, because of, of uprisings within the kingdom, uh, there would be a scattering of priests and kings and so forth. Most believe that this was probably written in the days of David. Most believe that uh, there's a good chance that it was written in the time when Absalom, uh, you know, for a brief time overthrew his father and briefly ruled over Israel, that there's a pretty good chance in that time these sons of Korah, they went into exile with David as well. We don't know for sure, but it seems to be the place that fits the most. Regardless of that, they were exiled, uh, and they weren't able to be in that place of going to the temple or to the tabernacle in Jerusalem. They weren't in the place where they could go keep the feast of the Lord, and they were exiled amongst Gentiles. They were exiled amongst non-believers, because this is why how many times we just read in that psalm multiple times, you know, they're being mocked, and basically they're they're, they're being mocked, but God's being mocked, and basically they're being told, hey, look at, you know, you're in this place of tribulation. Where's your God in all of this? Why, why isn't your God here, even though God was there? And so this psalm is being written from, from that viewpoint. Once being in that place of fellowship, once being in that place in Jerusalem, going to the feast, being there in the tabernacle, leading the people in worship, now being cut off from all of that. Being in a foreign place with foreigners who don't love God. Think of it like this. You know what? Uh, you know what? Most of us live here locally. We come. We worship here. We fellowship. Uh, you know, we have opportunity, multiple opportunities through the week, uh, midweek, Sunday morning, small groups to come together and worship the Lord and so forth, get taught the word, use our gifts and so forth. And now picture all of a sudden you're in a place where you're driven out of this community and you're driven into another country where they don't know God, they don't love God, and on top of that, they persecute Christians. That's where the sons of Korah are in writing this uh, psalm. And so uh, in the midst of this, we see, first of all, there's a great hunger that they have for the Lord. Uh, there's a great hunger the psalmist has to be once again amongst the people worshiping God, there to be uh, in Jerusalem keeping the feast. And then at the same time, the psalmist is wrestling with, you know, where are you, Lord? And my soul is downcast. And so what do I do in this? Uh, and at times, we get into that place, don't we? Has your soul ever been downcast? Maybe some of you tonight, you have a downcast soul. Well, the Lord wants us to bring that to him. And absolutely, we, we see in this psalm, we don't see a chastisement from the Lord when the psalmist is wrestling with, where are you, God? But we're going to see as we dive into this here that the Lord invites us to bring those things before him and to, to lay our hearts before him and lay our emotions before him and say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling downcast. I'm feeling like you're not here. I'm feeling like, you know what, I'm abandoned. But you'll see throughout the psalm in the midst of those feelings, there's a reminder that the sons of Korah keep giving to themselves, yes, this is how I'm feeling, but the truth is God's on the throne. The truth is God is my help. God is my hope. 
And so it's that wrestling match between the fillings in the midst of the trial and tribulation and so forth versus standing on the truth of who God is. And one thing we want to do is bring our fillings before him, but we want to leave standing in truth. We want to remind ourselves. We see the psalmist here encouraging himself in the truth of God in the midst of the mockery, in the midst of the discouragement, in the midst of his own wrestlings. And that's why the psalms are so beautiful because there's times we get in these places, don't we? Now notice verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now to pant here, it means to cry out for, to long after, to thirst for. And a deer, like all living creatures, must have water to live. And so picture a a deer being in the place of the desert or the mountains or rocky terrain and hot days. And really needing that next drink of water, needing to come upon that little pond or that stream or whatever it is, to be able to, you know what, continue to function and to live and so forth. That's where this deer is at. When we were down in Israel in Gedi, it's down by the, uh, the, the Dead Sea. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth. It gets extremely hot there. And uh, there's one place uh, in the midst of that that's like a little oasis, and uh, the, the waterfalls come down and so forth. And there's the Israeli deer there. We showed a picture of them last, year, last week, right, with the big horns and so forth. And this psalm's kind of associated with that place as well. And many believe that uh, perhaps the sons of Korah were influenced by David, speaking of being there and thirsting for the Lord, and the deer there in the desert thirsting after the water, needing it to survive. And so, you know, we, we can picture this. We get this. You know, we've all been in that place where we're thirsty practically, right? Well, the psalmist is saying in like manner, as the deer pants for those water brooks to survive, to live, to get its substance, substance, he says, my soul is panting for you like that. My soul is crying out for you, longing for you, thirsting for you. And he's saying this as a, as a matter of life. My soul thirsts for you, knowing that eternal life is only found in you. My soul thirsts for you, knowing abundant life is only found in you. My soul thirsts for you, uh, again, in the midst of an exile, in the midst of being in the world, in the midst of being surrounded by unbelievers, in the midst of paganism, in the midst of godlessness, he's in this place of saying, I'm in this place of desert, this place of death, so to speak, and yet in all of it, God, I, I want you. I, I, I want to look to you. Uh, we're in a fallen world, aren't we? I think about Jesus when he said, that his return will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And the scripture talks about how Lot's soul was vexed or it was grieved by all the sins around him. And I find certain days uh, in my life where there, there, there's so much stuff unfolding. And uh, sometimes you make the mistake of turning on the news and watching too long, you know, and, and seeing these types of reports. And then, you know, it's sadly, it's, it's just not in the news. It just seems like, you know, in our own community, amongst people we know, you, you, you know, you just, you just hear, um, you know, what sin does in people's lives and destroying people and so forth. And, um, you know, if, if anyone ever thought uh, the role of a pastor is some clean, squeaky little job where you don't deal with those types of things, boy, that's not the case. It's just a continual, almost every day, a prayer request or a situation or an emergency and so forth. And, boy, a lot of it. Uh, is the chickens coming home to roost after sin? 
you know, and it, it coming home and biting people and hurting people and so forth. And in, in the midst of all of that, you know, the psalmist is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsting for you in the midst of this death camp. And my soul, my soul's longing for you. And it's interesting, the soul, it's the vitality or the essence of a person. You know, we have these shells that we're walking in, and one day these shells will take on mortality, and they'll be transformed to being bodies that are eternal and, and can be physical and yet spiritual. They'll be like the Lord's resurrected body. But listen, our person is really our soul. Our soul comprises of our heart and our mind, our will. The Bible calls it our eternal soul. And he's saying, my soul, my essence, my person is just longing after you. And I just encourage you, you know, to be mindful of your soul, to be mindful of, of your person. There's nothing more valuable than it. The Lord says, what's a profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses a soul? And absolutely, we're called in Matthew twenty two thirty seven to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And absolutely, I think about Jesus, and we talked about this last week when we looked at those slides in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord said in Matthew 26, 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And the Lord's soul was exceedingly sorrowful because we talked about in communion tonight, he was going to take that cup of wrath to us. But in that, you know what it is? It's a picture of the Lord loving us with all of his soul. Isn't that an awesome picture? Um. The psalmist's soul, his essence, his person, again, was set on the Lord. My soul longs for you. Again, with the whole Christmas, you know what, message coming up Sunday, the birth of Christ. I thought about Mary in Luke 1.46. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Notice here, my soul magnifies the Lord. The psalmist is in this place where he's hungering for the Lord. And he's just hungering for the Lord. He's actually magnifying the Lord whether he knows it or not because I think we magnify the Lord the most when we're hungering for him, when there's a genuineness for him. But I compare this to the barn builder in Luke 12, 19. He said, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your case, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, full, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those... Uh, and, and then, whose things will those be which you have provided? And so we see Mary, we see the psalmist, their soul set upon the Lord, hungering for God. Their person wants God. And then we see this man that God calls a fool. Why? Because his soul was just set upon building barns. He came to that place of saying, you know, what am I going to do? Oh, I know what I can do. I can tear down my old barns and build new barns and so forth. You know, what's your soul thirsting for tonight? I can tell you this, the more that it's thirsting for the Lord, the more your soul is going to abound. And hear this tonight. If you're in a place where your soul, your person, your heart is just after temporary things, you're doing great damage to your soul. Do you realize that tonight? You can damage your soul. You can wrong your soul. You can despise your own soul. Just a few scriptures on this. Uh, Proverbs 6.32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding he who does so destroys his own soul. When we willfully walk in sin, we're destroying our soul. So, uh, Proverbs 8.36, it says, be, But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. These are things we need to know. Because I think sometimes when we fall into sin, we just think, Well, you know, I'm doing some few things and whatnot. And, 
you know, eventually I'll bring it to the Lord. You're wronging your soul. You're destroying your soul. Proverbs 15, 32, it says, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul. When we disdain or we want to shun the word of God, we're despising our soul. Because when you begin to get into the word of God, that gives you an appetite. It gives your soul a hunger for the Lord. 1 Peter 2, 11 says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And no doubt the psalmist amongst these Gentiles when it was in a place where there was temptation to his flesh to go begin to partake in those things and for his soul to long after those things and begin to feed them. And boy, whatever you begin to feed your soul is what you're going to begin to long for. Whatever you want to sow into your heart is going to begin to produce the things that you begin to chase after. And so we're told to watch our soul. We're told these things are going to war against our soul. Proverbs 16, 17 says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil, and he who keeps his way preserves his soul. And the psalmist is in this place, again, in exile amongst non-believers, no doubt in his soul being tempted to go thirst after the things they were thirsting for, but he doesn't want to fall in that place. So what's he doing? He's being honest with God. Why am I downcast? Where are you, Lord? Knowing that God was there, but taking it before the Lord and genuinely praying, basically saying, Lord, I want my way to be kept before you. And this is what the Lord invites us to do. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus Christ said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Notice here, hear this. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's what the psalmist is doing. Verse 2, he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Again, his thirst is for him. Is your thirst for him tonight? If it's not for him, I guarantee you it's because you're allowing things to influence your appetite that don't glorify God. You want more of a thirst for the Lord? They begin to feed your soul with the things of God. Go get into the word of God. Begin to worship the Lord. Begin to be a thankful person. Begin to come before him in prayer. Listen, turn on good Bible teaching. Turn on good worship. Get around people that love the Lord, that want to talk about the Lord. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever man sows, he will also reap. For he who reaps... Uh, for he who sows to his flesh of the flesh will reap corruption, but he who sows of the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. And absolutely, what you put into your soul is going to influence what you hunger for. It absolutely is. I used to drink Diet Coke nonstop. I started in junior high school because I was a wrestler and I always had to cut weight. And so in, in, in junior high school... I'm drinking Diet Coke and Diet Pepsi and even occasionally a Tab. That's how bad it was. Remember Tab Cola? Man, that stuff was nasty. And I just began to drink, you know, I just became a man and I would drink it and drink it and drink it. And I, there are days I'd drink 8 or 12 Diet Cokes. I wouldn't even drink a glass of water. And water had no appeal to me whatsoever. And it seems like whenever I ate something, whether it was sugary or salty, even all the more, I had to have a Diet Coke too with it, you know. I'd go to A&W and get a, get a chili dog and a fried burrito and a french fry and top it off with a Diet Coke. 
And listen, because I fed myself, that, that's all I crave for. And, and listen, that stuff had a, a, a horrific effect on my health. And, and I already had health issues anyway, and I had a chronic cough that it just made worse, and I got sick all the time and so forth. And, and a few people would tell me, man, that's so bad for you and so forth. But you kind of got to come to your own place where you're ready to stop, right? And if you drink that tonight, listen, there's no condemnation upon you. We have freedom in the Lord. But I remember coming to the place about five, six years ago where I just said, I'm done drinking this. And I haven't drank one since then. I just came to the place, I'm done. I'm not going to drink anymore. And I just began to drink water. And I drink water now. I probably drink 12 glasses of water a day. Guess what? I, I, I thirst for it. I want water. I want water with ice, maybe a lemon in it. And, and because I begin to feed myself that, water, water, water. And I've gotten so much more healthy and so much more clear-minded. And again, I'm just saying this practically. But when I begin to feed my body with water, I begin to crave it. And I'm telling you, what you're feeding your soul is going to produce what your soul craves after. And if you just continually feed your soul everything but the things of the Lord, you're not going to crave after the things of the Lord. Protect your soul, amen? Guard your soul. There's nothing more important than your soul. He says, I thirst for the living God. No doubt amongst these pagans, he was feeding his soul the things of the Lord. And you know what's beautiful when you thirst after the Lord? Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the Lord's the only thing that you'll thirst over after that will satisfy you, and yet it will stir you to thirst after more at the same time. There's nothing else like him. And so he says, when shall I come and appear before God? Notice, my soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So he's thirsting for the living God in the midst of a death camp. And then when he's saying, when shall I come and appear before God? This is him talking about going back to Jerusalem. When am I going to get in the place where I can go back to the tabernacle? I can go back and keep the feast. You know what's beautiful for us in the new covenant? We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to, you know, go to Portola Road. Hebrews 4.14 or 4.16, let us come therefore boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time and need. Because Christ is the fulfillment of our salvation we can go before him wherever and whenever, and we should do it often. Verse 3 says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? And so listen, the enemy of our soul always wants to make it his aim to get us to question God, to question God's faithfulness as we go through trials, tribulations, persecutions, deserts, as we shed tears, he'll say, where's your God? You ever hear that voice? You ever hear that question? Where's your God? Sometimes it's the enemy of our soul, Satan, saying it. Sometimes it's the world saying it. Sometimes it comes from our own heart. Where's our God? And you know what the answer is? Every single time, he's on the throne. He's ruling and reigning on high. He knows every hair of my head. His promises are yes and amen. And he is with me to the end of the age, whether I feel it or not, because his word is true. Verse 4, 
He says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. So the psalmist again in exile, he's thinking about how he used to go worship the Lord in Jerusalem at the tabernacle with the multitude of believers. And he's just thinking about the liberty that he used to have that he doesn't have now. Rejoice tonight in Christ because we have freedom. We have freedom again in the Lord. But I love this as well. He's hungering for fellowship. And praise God, we got fellowship tonight. We got fellowship in him. Let's not take it for granted. Verse 5, he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted, disquieted uh, within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. countenance. So he's again looking at his soul. He sees his despair. And he doesn't hide it from God. He, he, he's in, he isn't in a place where it's like, you know what, my soul's down. I'm cast down. I'm disquieted. But I can't bring that to God because if I do, he's not going to be pleased with me. And the enemy wants us to be in that place as well. He doesn't want us to be honest with God. He wants us to get us to think we have to hide this from the Lord. But instead, the psalmist crying out to the Lord, uh, speaking again to his own circumstances, uh, brings it before God, and then notice here, he ministers to his own heart. I've said it oftentimes, the person that's going to pastor you more than anybody else is yourself. It's going to be you. How are you ministering to your heart? What are the sermons you're preaching in your mind into your soul? He's in this place where he is cast down, and yet he looks up. He gets his eyes off his circumstance, and he puts it upon the Lord. He says, my soul's cast down. I'm disquieted, but I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to praise the Lord because of the help that comes from his countenance, the help that comes from him shining his face upon me, his servant. And I love this because though he is Though he is downcast, he is still praising the Lord. And I think that's when Avonite's praise is the best. I love Habakkuk 3.17. It says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, uh, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stills, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Isn't that awesome? Though there's no fruit on the vine, I'm going to choose to worship the Lord. Though my soul is downcast, I will hope in God. Verse 6, he says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill of Mazar. And again, my soul's cast down, but I'm not going to stay in this place. My soul's cast down, but I'm going to look up to you no matter where I'm at. Again, if I'm by the Jordan River, if I'm up on Mount Hermon or the hill of Mazar, which is probably east of the Jordan River, where you can see the Jordan River and you can see Mount Hermon. Maybe that's where he was writing this, but Jordan's a low place. Mount Hermon's a high place, and the hill of Mazar, it's right in the middle. So he's in this place where he is saying, look it, I want to be in Jerusalem. I want to be amongst the people, but I'm not. So what I'm going to do is, 
no matter where I am, I'm going to worship him. If I'm on the Jordan, I'm going to worship him. If I'm up at Mount Hermon, I'm going to worship him. If I am in the hill of Mazar, I am going to worship him. Don't ever come to the place where you say, I'll start to praise God. I'll start to worship God. I'll serve God when I'm in the right place. You know what the right place to worship God, serve God, praise God is? It's every place. It's where you are right now. Verse 7, he says, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. So the sound of the rushing water, again, it reminds the psalmist of the pummeling he's going through in all these trials. Again, we don't know exactly where he was. If this was when the, mount, the, the, the snow was melting on Mount Hermon that feeds the Jordan, that feeds the Sea of Galilee, and eventually it goes down to the Dead Sea. Maybe he's thinking of Engedi here. Again, where the deer pants for the waters and those waterfalls are there. Regardless, it's a reminder of him, of, of the waves and the billows and the trials going over him. But hear this tonight, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, and we can bear witness as believers, and before we believed in Christ, we had trials, didn't we? And billows and waves that went over us. And the difference is, uh, and I'm not going to read it just for time's sake, but in Matthew 7, the Lord says, Blessed is the man who hears and acts on my words, because all those storms come. He's like the man who built his house on the rock. And yet the person that shuns is like the man that built on the sand. And we need to know, listen, when the waves and billows are coming, our God, the rock, and we're going to come to that in verse 9, is going to see us through. Verse 8, he says, the Lord will command his love kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. And so again, the psalmist is wrestling. He, he, this is what he feels. My soul is downcast. I don't feel like you're here, God. The enemy is saying, where is your God? But I'm going to ground myself in truth because the truth is the Lord commands his love kindness to me in the daytime. And he never ceased in it, ceased in it. And in the night, his song will be with me. And, and it's, it's him reminding him, God's mindful of me in the daytime. God's mindful of me in the nighttime. And so I want to be mindful to him in the daytime, in the nighttime. And he made this his prayer. He's making this, again, uh, his, his, his declaration. This is what he's thinking on in the midst of the feelings, in the midst of the exile, in the midst of the enemy. He's saying, I got to get my mind right. God is with me in the midst of all of this. He's going to be with me no matter where I go, whether it's by the Jordan, Mount Hermon, the hill of Mizah, whether it's day or night, my God's on the throne. And boy, that's true for us tonight. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, and again, He's encouraging his soul. In all appearance, it looks like he's on shaky ground, but he's remembering, but God's my rock, so I'm not on shaky ground. I'll say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And again, he's coming before the Lord in honesty. On one hand, he knows God's his rock. He knows God's with him day and night. He knows the Lord's never going to leave him nor forsake him. He, he knows that's the truth, but his feelings are saying, I feel like you've forgotten me. And, and, and in the midst of that, I'm mourning because of the oppression of my enemies around me. And he's breaking up before the Lord, and God wants us to do that as well. 
God welcomes our wrestlings. God welcomes our honesty. God welcomes our crying out in the midst of trying to figure it out. Isn't that good to know? Isaiah 1.8, the Lord says, come now and let us reason together. Come bring it before me. Just make sure everything finishes in the word of God, not on your feelings. Because if you're not bringing it, finishing it on the word of God and his truth, then you're not reasoning with the Lord. You're standing and leaning on your own understanding. Verse 10, he says, As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? You know that little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That's a lie. (laughs) He's saying here, my enemy's words, they're like a breaking of my bones. The reproach against me. A reproach means you're a a person, something that's a reproach is something that's a disgust. And they're looking at the sons of Korah like, you disgust us. You're, 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 you're an outcast, you're an abomination in our pagan world. If your God's all that great, why are you in exile? Why are you in this captivity? Why can't you just freely go back to Jerusalem? They're mocking them, but more so they are mocking God. And this is something that absolutely is like the breaking of the bones of the sons of Korah. And no doubt it's not just because of their circumstance, it's because of them mocking God. And as they hear them mocking God saying, where is your God? There's a great grieving upon their heart that is like the breaking of bones, but in the soul. One thing though, again, we know tonight to the question, where is your God? Let me tell you, even when it doesn't look like he's around, when it doesn't look like he's moving, when it doesn't look like he's operating, hear this. I can assure you, he is. He is. And he works all things for good. And hear this as well. The day's coming soon when everyone who says, where is your God? Where is he at? The day's coming soon when all of them will know exactly where he is. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And notice verse 11. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Again, truthfulness. See, he's praying through this. It's not a three-verse psalm, it's an 11-verse psalm, because he says, I'm going to work through it. As long as my soul's downcast and disquieted, I'm going to keep bringing it before him. I'm going to keep bringing it before the Lord. I'm going to keep reminding myself of who I am in God. I'm going to keep encouraging myself in the Lord. I'm going to keep ministering truth to my soul. It's like David in 1 Samuel 30. I'm not going to get into the whole backstory, but David is in a place where he's greatly distressed. In fact, it says now David in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. That's something to be distressed about, right? When everyone wants to pick up rocks and kill you. It says because of the soul of the people, of all the people was grieved. Every man for his son and daughters. They'd all been taken to captivity and they were blaming David. And so David's distressed because their wives and kids have been taken to captivity. And they're talking about stoning David. But notice what it says. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
all this is going on. He's like, what can I do? I got to go strengthen myself in the Lord. I got to get grounded in truth. I got to stand in the scriptures and you got to do the same thing. What are the sermons you, what sermons are you preaching to your soul? And so again, he says, why are you downcast? Why are you disquiet, disquieted within me? And then he preaches to himself again, truth, hope in God. For yet, I, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So he says again, the enemy's coming against me. I'm an exile. My soul is cast down. It's like my bones are breaking. It's like billows washing over me. I can't even get a breath. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to remember God is my help. And I'm going to remember as God's countenance shines upon me, my countenance will brighten and reflect my God. Let's stand up and pray. Heavenly Father, we just bless you tonight, God. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together here tonight, God, to worship you, to partake of the Lord's Supper, and Lord, to, to look at this psalm, God. I know we're just scratching the surface of it, but Lord, boy, this is truth we need. It is truth we need because there are days when our souls are downcast. There are days when we are surrounded by haters. There are, there are days when... God, we are leaning on our feelings and our understanding and not you. And we thank you that you are compassionate. We thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that you invite us and you tell us to come to you when we are weary and heavy laden to find rest for our souls. And I pray we would do that, God. I would pray we'd be mindful of our souls, what we're feeding our soul, whether we are building our soul up in the Lord, whether we are destroying our soul with the things that are contrary to your heart and your mind, sinful things and so forth. I pray tonight, God, that absolutely you would be the lifter of our head and God, that our hope would be in you. God, that you'd just minister to our souls tonight, God. Wash us with this truth we've looked at. Strengthen us with your Holy Spirit in your person. And if you're here tonight, if you've never never put your faith in Christ. It's time to get your soul right with God Almighty tonight. By coming to Him and asking for forgiveness of your sin, asking Him to be your Lord and your Savior, which means you are repenting and turning from being your own Lord. And asking Jesus to rule and reign over your life, to be your God. And to reign over your life according to his word. I'll tell you, he stands ready to wash you and cleanse you and meet you where you are right now. Listen, if you don't know him, call on him. I say it all the time. It's there in the scriptures. Romans chapter 10. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. Call on him tonight. Humble your heart before him. He'll meet you where you are. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this time and your word. And Again, just shine your face, God, upon your saints tonight, your people tonight, God. Lord, again, we also just pray, God, in this season, this Christmas season that we are in, that we can shine bright for you. Be a witness, God. Be unashamed of the gospel. And Lord, I know this is even a season where there are a lot of folks that, God, there's a, there's a brokenness that comes upon them and 
I want to pray, God, that this word that we looked at tonight, God, would just refresh them and wash them and strengthen them in you, God. So again, we just thank you that you are good, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. We sit together. Amen. God bless you.